1: All right, welcome on to more offseason outlook work here and the Chicago Bulls firmly in the dunked on crosshairs. Mr. LaRue, their financial situation, please.
2: Well, so the Bulls are are in this fascinating situation because they theoretically could function as an over-the-cap team or an under-the-cap team. The benefit of being over-the-cap is it would allow them to retain their partially guaranteed players, retain their pending free agents and all that, and that would be totally fine. But The problem with that is that one of the things this front office may want to do, should he be willing to, Is renegotiate and extend Zach Levine, and the reason why you want to renegotiate and extend Zach Levine is because of his contract structure. We'll get into that in a little bit, but basically, so they could function as an over the cap team. I mean, that's that's easy to do. But in order for the Bulls to clear some space, like you know, let's say like if they if you wipe away all their pending free agents and you keep their partial guarantees, the Bulls have roughly you know ten to thirteen million in space, um, depending on a couple other decisions that they need to make. Um, and then you could further clear space with uh, by Moving on from Thaddeus Young or Tomas Sadaransky, who are each partially guaranteed.
1: Yeah, so that's an interesting one. Thaddeus Young do 14.2 million, 6 million of that guaranteed. Guarantee date is the day before free agency. Thomas Sadaransky do 10 million, 5 million of that is guaranteed. Guarantee date the day before free agency. So that projection that, that you have, the 10 to 13 million or so, that is. No Larry Markkinen, who has a huge cap hold. And no, uh, but keeping Young and keeping Satoransky. Uh, no Ryan Archidiakono sadly and so that's that's one option and but with 12 million as you said not really much that you can do there and so under normal circumstances you'd want to just function as an over the cap team because then you could re-sign it if you wanted to you could re-sign Daniel Tice who I think is is a valuable player for them as well those are really probably the only two uh, and uh Garrett Temple as well as of that they might want to bring back those are all reasonably valuable players for them guys are in the rotation a year ago Markkinen and it is still young even though they're not necessarily starting him and i don't know about the fit with Vucevic. they might say hey we don't want that to get away so and, and then you still would have the mid-level potentially to sign free agents. Although if you re-sign all these guys, then you might be getting pretty close to the to the tax uh, without using the mid-level. But the problem is you can't use that mid-level exception to renegotiate and extend Zach Levine. You must use cap space. And to create that cap space, you must renounce the bird rights of Tice and Temple and Markkinen. Markkinen uh could not even get a qualifying offer. He would just move into being unrestricted if they were going to renegotiate and extend Zach Levine and then you're just limited to the room exception to bring uh Bring back Tice or Temple if you wanted to, or make another move. So that's it, I think they would love to renegotiate and extend Zach Levine. You would think, what, yeah, what like, you like think that's that? the, how, like... how big of a priority is that? Because there's a big opportunity. Well, also actually, hold on. Before we talk about that, let me lay out one other scenario too. Other scenario would be you leave enough cap space to renegotiate and extend Levine, but maybe you would wave and stretch sataransky and that would open up basically another 8 million or so in space Uh, Young, I think is probably too important that you, you need to leave him on this team if they're trying to win next year, which obviously that was the whole point of the Vucevic trade. He was a really valuable player for them, played backup center. You know, I don't know that they're going to do better in the free agent market. I mean, maybe they would prioritize Tyson over Young. Like that's a possibility. If they wanted to both wave and stretch both Sadoransky and Young, that could open up about 30 million or so. In cap space which would be probably plenty to renegotiate and extend levine and then also to do some other moves or bring back tice or actually you could just hold on to the 9.5 million dollar cap hold of tice if you wanted to and then still have about 10 million or so to work with um so the that's another potential option uh or you know you could maybe try to trade sadaransky or young as well to open up that space uh to trade it into another team's cap space or trade exception something along those lines so those are kind of your three options are stay over the cap and then just let Levine's thing play out because they probably, Levine is not going to take the max ex- normal extension that they can offer, which would be four years, $104 million. Uh Whereas next year he would be able to get, well, I don't have that exact number in front of me, but it, he would be able to get pretty close to call it five years, $195 million, and maybe even more if he were to make all nba team next year as well then he could go all the way up to 228 million uh, over five years about that if the, the cap's going to go up a little bit so there's gonna be slightly higher um so that's one option option two is yeah so, so that's option one you stay over you get all the benefits of that with market entice etc garrett temple potentially as well to have some money to bring him back by staying over the cap using all their bird rights but you let it play out with levine and let him get to free agency option two is you just keep thaddeus young you renegotiate and extend levine and you kind of just have the room exception maybe you move on from sataransky stretch him or trade him and then you could bring in maybe one more guy or use that money for Tice as well and then option three is just kind of the max cap space where you can renegotiate and extend Levine and then you also would have about 20 million or so to work with beyond that and the renegotiation extension for Levine would be run the order of 12 million or so in extra money this year let me double check that basically you're renegotiating him up to the max for this year yeah which would be not he, he couldn't quite get him to that that would be the He's making 19.5 this year. So you can get him up to 31.5 for this year. So that's basically new money that he can't get anywhere else. And then you get the extension on top of that, which would be the max for four years. So throw in another 151 million over that. So you're kind of looking at, you throw that renegotiation and extension on there for what he could have gotten or, or extra money that he's getting this year that he just couldn't have gotten. So that's about 12 million or so. So you're talking about 163 million over four years. That's pretty good. That's over 40 million dollars a year on that renegotiation and extension essentially all right sorry i rambled on there so long we actually lost danny for a second but he is back now and (laughs) I laid out all the numbers for Zach Levine renegotiation extension. What the opportunity cost is should the Chicago Bulls renegotiate and extend Zach Levine?
2: I think they should make the offer. And Levine, he's improved a lot. He has established a level of play this past year that I didn't expect. And Levine's 26. I think I I don't think he's going to ever be like a super duper star. I doubt he'll make an all-deserve making an all NBA team, but. He's a talented player. And the other reason why you make, why, why I phrased it as you make the offer is because. You need to know where Zach Levine stands, and the otherwise the extension system is sufficiently broken that I I think it would be totally reasonable for him to not to not want another extension to see where see what the market will bear. And if Levine isn't willing to do a renegotiation extension, then I think the Bulls need to seriously think about whether they want him on their team. And that's what kind of in some ways that's why you want to have that conversation because you need to know his answer either way. And I do think he's worth it, but in some ways, more importantly, you need to know whether he wants to do it.
1: It's a bit of a catch-22 because... You would think, well, it's all about being competitive with Zach Levine here, but we can't do as much to be competitive if we have to use cap space on renegotiating and extending him. But of course, if you do that, then you have him. Zach Levine has had a very nice rise in terms of his level of improvement. And maybe there's an argument that this guy could be on the level of a Devin Booker or Bradley Beal, although he's not as young as Booker, but about the same age as Beal, a little bit younger than him, and that he could be the guy running a very good offense and that that sort of a player is potentially deserving of a max contract. On the other hand, you made this move for Nikola Vucevic. The point of that was to be competitive last year, whoops, and to be competitive this year. And then he's got one more year under contract after that, but he's getting a little bit older. So that Vucevic move, in some ways, that's to placate Levine. But now you also have to placate him by renegotiating, extending him, and blunting the impact of the Vucevic move. Because now you can't put as many pieces around him. Another maybe kind of uh, compromise could be that the Bulls wouldn't have to give him the absolute most amount of money that they could give him this year. All they would have to do is give him about $7 million extra for this year, get him up to about $26 million, and then he could still extend at the max over four years. You could get 120% raise off of what they give him this year. That could get him up, again, it'd be a little bit dicey in terms of like the cap going up i shouldn't say dicey but a little bit inexact those numbers because we don't know what the cap will be two years from now but it's not going to go up a ton we know that there's a a limit to how much it can go up uh, and the players are essentially still paying back all the pandemic losses to the owners With that being the case, you know, maybe you could spend seven million of your cap space, and then if you move on from Sataransky and stretch him or or get off of that money entirely, you could still have about 15 million to work with, and then also have the uh room exception, and that could be enough maybe to put a decent team on the floor next year. Bring back Tice, although the whole Tice and Vucevic playing together, they tried that, or Tice and Young playing together, you know, it's not, I don't know if that's exactly where I'd want to spend my money if you're going to have young and vooch maybe we'd go in another direction get a wing who can actually you know play a little bit in addition to patrick williams they also i think you want to open up some time for patrick williams at the four so i'm not sure that bringing back tice is the best use of that money possibly but he's a good player and maybe the best just player that they could get for that money even though he is another big which isn't the perfect fit for them. So that, that might be a possibility. Um, you know, would Zach Levine be interested in doing that? I I think that that might be, maybe you, you make that offer at first and kind of see, but the other thing too, is I think if you just play it out with Levine, you can still offer him the five-year deal. You can offer him the super max if he makes all NBA. And frankly, if he doesn't make all NBA, like, do you really, are you like, oh man, like your year probably wasn't that great sometimes guys just don't make all nba because the the competition on that third team guard is always really difficult but you still can offer him you know you'd be in the situation like blake griffin was with the clippers where hey a five-year deal especially if you give him a player option eight percent raises i mean that's just way more money than anyone else can offer and so if that's not good enough at that point and you know again we're talking about a guy who's probably you know the 25th best player in the nba something around that maybe he gets better next year but you you we're not talking about a guy who you know maybe it's not worth heaven and earth he's definitely the best guy they've had since Jimmy Butler but you gotta this is why we do these player rankings so you have an understanding of kind of where this guy is and also you just know how this plays out right like I mean if he gets hurt or Vucevic isn't that good and you're just like man we're not ready to win right now we gotta just uh we're gonna have to go to do a more extensive rebuild again then you have that information so I maybe I I would do it I would try to get it maybe for the seven million but I don't think it's the end of the world if you don't renegotiate an extent I mean, you can also say to him hey you know what like we have this option again and all these other guys in who are really going to help us win this year and we can still pay you next year and he can kind of hopefully be on board with that and understands that reality um so yeah well, that's one a, other... it's a tough call man it is crazy to think that i've been working with helix sleep since twenty. 20- 15 and i think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners if you've never heard it before that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom and there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one size fits all they found the one formula the one mattress that was going to work for everyone my then girlfriend now wife and i ordered that mattress We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us uh, and our body types and uh, helix offers 20 unique matches Every sleeps differently and helix matches are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences hot or cold side sleeper back sleeper so take that helix sleep quiz find your perfect mattress in under two minutes that you came from us. Man, I just love American Giant. Just an amazing here in the program. that's 20% off your first order at american giant.com. Don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us.
2: One other point on kind of let's call it your side of the ledger, I think we we disagree slightly on this, or is that you could sell Levine in the future on even if you necessarily don't want to be here, that's still more money than you can get, and you can find yourself somewhere else. You know, like that sort of what, incidentally, that's not right. necessarily what Blake Griffin wanted, but it's what Blake Griffin got where he got the money and ended up somewhere else. But for me, part of the reason why I think you make you make whatever you think is a reasonable offer this year is I think it's a good understanding of how willing Zach Levine is to return. Yeah. You know, like you're you're getting information on how likely he is to resign in 2022 by making the offer in 2021 and if he's willing to leave money on the table already you know like because that's whether it's the seven million or up to his full max that's still a lot of money in the security of a of a max or mask max-esque contract and so if he's willing to do that once because he's not sure of the situation if the coming season doesn't go particularly well you could see him potentially do that again and so I would be more in line with, if he does, if he's not willing to do those kinds of deals, then I would be looking more at moving him, not like you have to do it, you know, whatever you can get, pennies on the dollar, anything like that. But
1: oh, there's no way they would trade him, even if he turns it down.
2: Oh yeah, but what I'm no saying is what would I would, would do. Him. Yeah, I, I oh, agree yeah. with
1: you. Yeah, well, because, I mean, that, because that's the thing, right? Like they just, they completely eliminated any kind of optionality that they have by making this Vooch trade.
2: and. And they gave Levine it, 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 a lot yeah. of power, like, by by doing yeah. so, because, and I don't know what he wants, whether Levine is somebody who sees the risk premium and goes, I can get that money now, that's fantastic, I could be, I could be set up, whether it's in Chicago or elsewhere, or whether he is like, hey, this is my last big contract, the contract that he signs next will presumably run through his early 30s. And so Levine, if he wants to, you know, be competing for a championship while he's at his best, and that, that is his prerogative, then he could be, he could want something else. And it is a challenging situation, and as you brought up, And I think this is just so important to emphasize with the Bulls is whatever decision Zach Levine makes, it has a massive effect on their team quality and viability this coming year and moving forward.
1: Yeah. And, you know, the sad part is even if all this goes right for them, all right, like maybe they can be in competition for the sixth seed next year. Like it would shock me if they got home court advantage. I mean, it could happen. You know, the Atlanta Hawks might make the NBA Finals here. Like, but that's, uh, I think we we need to, it's actually, I mean, what the Suns and the Hawks, have done this year is going to lead to so many bad decisions down the line by other teams thinking that they could be the.
2: all you need to do is get in the mix and you never know what could happen yeah
1: yeah this year is these last two years were uh a bit of an aberration i would say maybe maybe this is like a new normal now and we just because we don't have any super teams but i mean the nets are a super team they just got hurt anyway um so let's hit a few more of the nuts and bolts here on the bulls um they've got marketing situation it just seems unless they stay over the cap there's just no way that he's gonna be back it would seem like maybe he could be involved in a sign and trade and the other crazy thing that we haven't even talked about yet is like everyone's saying this team is gonna be a suitor for lonzo ball and i guess uh, they're gonna do that by how exactly they're gonna would they move out i mean that maybe if they don't renegotiate and extend levine and they moved on from Saturansky. They could open up twelve million in space and maybe make that offer. Our, well, and and remember that, yeah.
2: they're at, they're pretty the Bulls are pretty asset poor right now in terms of future picks because not only are they conveying <laughs> oh, their, oh, I
1: remember. D- yeah. Don't worry, I remember.
2: Not only are they conveying their 2021 first, but they're conveying a top four protected future first, which probably conveys in twenty three, though who the hell knows? And then the Bulls also have some seconds, but is that enough yeah. to like they have get the off the thirty
1: eighth pick this yeah. year very much?
2: To get off of Al Farouk Aminu, if that was one way to do it, or yeah, find a hope they for they Troy could Brad. stretch
1: him too very easily. I mean, they yeah, it, they, they really seem to have kind of gone all in. So I wouldn't put it past them I mean, if they if they wanted to stretch him. And young and Saturansky or, or, like, or make a trade d- salary so, dump
2: Kobe White like there are ways that they can clear modest amounts of money, but you probably can't get Lonzo and renegotiate and extend Zach Levine. So then it's a different. Well, I, of- I,
1: I think uh, you could if you got rid of two of the three of young Sataransky and then I mean then you could or or you could do just the seven million renegotiate and extend. I think you could. I think yeah. Like, if
2: you if you did given, the seven million, you could.
1: Given all the smoke around Lonzo, I just with um it seems like if I had to guess what they're going to do, it would be some kind of a move to open up more space. And so they can make a $20 million a year offer. Now, do I want to make a $20 million a year offer to Lonzo Ball? Yeah. You know, I probably would. I don't know if Spencer Dinwiddie wants to come back there. I would probably be more interested in Dinwiddie than Lonzo uh, would I would, I would Ball. be.
2: Especially because I think Dinwiddie can fit. He, I mean, both yeah. guys can fit with Levine, but like, I mean, then you could get some of the better parts of Dinwiddie too.
1: Yeah. Because I mean, Kobe White, They they do not want to go into next year with him as the bunker now as i said they still need kind of more on the wing too i think williams is a four i guess they see him as the three i said when they made the vooch trade that this is a huge bat on patrick williams working out to be another star because they don't really have much other upside now as a group i still think white could work out but he's i don't i don't think that he's like not on track right now but he's you know that's just what happens like three four years that's what it takes for most point guards to get to being a star level player and he's not a great passer and a bad defensive fit with levine all that i mean i think that's part of the appeal of lonzo is that he's better defensively uh and can run and you've kind of and then can just play off the ball in the half Course, so he's not a terrible fit i just think that playing paying that much for that type of point guard who doesn't really have that many pick and roll skills you just you wonder about that um and his shooting to me is still a little bit of a question mark but yeah i mean and you know then you run into the problem too where the Pels could match are they gonna throw the 38th pick at the Pels and say hey you didn't want to match this anyway so let's just do a sign and trade for him I guess that's a possibility. What are some of the other point guard options out there? Like Derek Rose has been floated a potential return. He, that actually, I wouldn't mind that too much, honestly. Like I think he would he would be a decent fit there, but you run into some of the injury concerns with him.
2: I mean, Patty Mills would be intriguing, just as somebody who could be a part of the rotation, can play when Levine's not out there, and can also fit with him reasonably well. Campaign maybe.
1: Uh, yeah, that's a, you just uh, you just gave Bulls fans some PTSD again. Um, Schroeder. I, I mean, I, I don't like him basically anywhere for the money that he's going to probably require, but it kind of seems like that's the a, a guy that they might look at because uh, you're kind of wondering like where Schroeder's market is, where he thinks that he has was going to turn down this $84 million from the Lakers. As far as wings, you know, there's the usual platter, uh, getting a veteran guy in, whether that's bringing back temple who i thought played well for them won healthy last year but they need to get like a couple of these like veteran wing options in just to get some more size some more defense you can't be in a situation where you're trying to just like scrounge at the three given some of the defensive limitations of this roster and so you know whether that's Wes Matthews or so someone along those lines even just getting someone like Torrey Craig or James Ennis in there would be an upgrade on kind of what they've had they just got to stay healthy obviously Abdel Nader I think would be a guy I would like for them actually Justice Winslow as a reclamation project or Derek Jones Jr although I think Jones Jr is going to opt in uh, would be an interesting thought because you have the pretty good shooting and spacing on this team now with Vooch at center although as you always say you would rather maximize that anything else on these guys i, I mean tice you know kind of seems like he's gonna be in the you know around the full mid-level exception range for two three years to bring him back
2: yeah i mean the idea that chicago could theoretically you know if, if for whatever reason a levine thing isn't happening if they stay over and and you could theoretically use the full the full middle level exception they would have sufficient bird rights i th- i would believe on tice to, to keep him Whatever happens with Lowry Marketing. So if we wanna say theoretically you wipe off you know, you wipe off their free agents and then you keep in this scenario Thaddeus Young and Sadoransky, the Bulls would have roughly forty million in spending power. Now a lot of that you can only use on retaining your guys because you know you don't that's not like cap space where you can do something but if you could get you know bring a couple of those dudes back garrett temple potentially some of the other ones and use the mid-level there's there's a pretty solid team there. not an amazing one but a pretty solid one and in certain ways you could say that's their best case scenario but it depends on how they feel about levine in that scenario like in terms of their team quality for 21 22 i would stay still that staying over the cap is the best way to do it
1: yeah, although your problem there is you just you can't upgrade a point guard meaningfully. You know, I, I think that, yeah, it's ju-
2: just the know. MLE and the MLE in this class is not going to get you something yeah. great
1: yeah and they they also you know part of this whole appealing to levine thing is they want to get a point guard in place and i think lonzo the appeal there is that he's young enough that hey this is like our future whereas the dinwiddie is a little bit older at 28 maybe doesn't fall into that quite as well and you know i don't think they're probably gonna have the scratch to go after like a lowry or a conley necessarily on a short term deal again that just seems like like you are in theory trying to build something that's more sustainable for the future again why you would give up two first round picks to trade for a 31 year old center with a hard ceiling on your defense yes what, what is g Michael? Here? anyway he's going to be old soon as we all are so that's about it and then marketing just to circle back on him the reason that if they use cap space he's gone is because he has a 20 million dollar cap hold and if you make him a qualifying offer as a restricted free agent then that cap hold stays on the books until he either signs you renounce him in which case then you can't have a qualifying offer out there making a restricted free agent anymore uh, or he signs elsewhere. Let's move on to the Charlotte Hornets and what is their financial situation
2: the hornets books are i mean they're another team that could theoretically go either direction but it seems more clear that the hornets will function with cap space because it makes more sense and the inflection point there is malik monk we'll talk about him a little bit later but a good working assumption is that the hornets will have 20 to 23 million in space to work with depending on a couple of restricted free agents and roster holds and all that type of stuff remember they're still paying you know nicolas batum counts 9 million on their books for this coming season because they had to stretch him to clear the space for Gordon Hayward. Now, Gordon Hayward worked out very well in year one, but that is something there. So, 20 to 23 million to work with along with the number 11 pick that can get you some meaningful upgrades
1: absolutely and you know it, it is kind of, again making monk a restricted free agent pretty much the similar situation with market and his cap hold 16 million so if they do that it would eat into their space it's qualifying offer actually i'm not sure you might have not made the starter criteria as his qualifying offer to be a little bit lower the other variable is Devonte graham who hit the starter criteria he has a cap hold of 4.7 million dollars that is also his qualifying offer so they'll keep that on the books if they wanted to remove that that could get him to 25 million in space i don't know why they would do that i think graham will probably it's probably going to be a backup here going forward but you might as well hold on to him and you know try and keep his salary down to some degree and you know have him be a part of what you're doing going forward sign him to a good contract he also could be tradable later so let's their operating assumption i think is 20 million dollars in cap space they also have the 11th overall pick in the draft Non guarantees for the martin twins and Jalen mcdaniels i think probably all those get picked up at this point in time so they, they got 12 players right now they have the free agency of cody zeller so they basically have nothing at center right now beyond bo's a free agent. they have no centers under contract is that where you expect them to focus their energies
2: yes though i don't think it's necessarily the only thing they have to do because they could go with cheaper options use the room exception you know do other things but part of the reason why i expect the hornets to use that money on a center is that there aren't that many other places for them to go that make clear sense for charlotte
1: yeah. hey Nicola batum is a free agent he
2: is actually and, I, I think and
1: he, i think they are they prohibited from bringing him since back they well, stretched
2: he's... him i believe that they are
1: yeah i think that might actually be the case although maybe if he's signed somewhere else then you can I don't. I don't think that's the case, though. We
2: we can look it up if we really need to. But so part of the reason why Charlotte might be interested in a center, and theoretically they could use that money. Free agents are the most obvious one, but they could trade for a player as well, and either do it as an imbalance trade where you know they send something back and and take on additional money, or would they just put that player into their cap space? Is that aiming high at center for Charlotte could yield some real returns because if you think about Lamelo Ball as the foundation of the long term future of the team, then your offense is going to be intriguing, this team still desperately needs a defensive identity and they also have a lot of spots filled by guys that mostly are not going to massively contribute to that defensive identity. You know, like Miles Bridges can help, PJ Washington at his best can help, Terry Rozier can help, but you need that person who's going to bring it all together and ideally that person could either could do one of one of two other things. So they can defending is mandatory, whatever kind of theory of the case James Brigo and the and kubchak want defensively. But the other thing is either, I mean ideally somebody could do both, but either somebody who the four really well and can 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 get these looks that, of these kick-aheads from lamello ball and everything else and or somebody who can space the four because then in the half court you're gonna have a lot more st- space for ball and hayward and rosier and everybody else to operate and the good news for them is i think there are players that at least can come closer to doing that and one of them is your one of you, your i mean you said he was the best center available and especially now with Serge baka's injury that seems more true and that's Rashawn holmes
1: yeah holmes excellent finisher on the pick and roll he's got one of the best pick and roll floater games uh, also can get up for some finishes he's 27 so the athleticism will be on the way and i think he's a reasonable reasonably solid defensive center, not elite, but a guy who I think is a two-way player. He's shown a little bit of ability to switch and some mobility. And that to me is very important for the way that Borrego has played the Hornets switch just about more than any, any team. They also played a ton of zone as well. And well, it would part of the reason they did that is because they just didn't have a traditional rim protector who also was acceptable offensively. And they played a lot of small units, like with PJ Washington at center, etc. cetera. Uh, yeah. It would be nice. To, I think to have more of a defensive anchor where they can play more conventionally, uh, not have to just give up 800 billion threes a game and just kind of hope that teams missed and you could junk up the game enough against teams to get by but actually like have a good defense instead of having to just like paper over the fact that you don't really have any great defenders so that's one possibility holmes certainly and the kings have the early bird rights on him you know right around four years or just over 50 million is the most that they could offer the hornets obviously could beat that offer if they wanted to i don't necessarily see other suitors out there for Holmes above the mid-level, although some could maybe materialize uh, if they don't go there. Daniel Tice is someone who I think w- would be an interesting fit as well, another kind of skinnier, more mobile center. I would like Montrez Harrell here a lot as a bench big pick and roll guy. You know, just having a really good roll man would be great for guys like Graham and Ball. But well, and uh, you know, the, Harrell, the other- Harrell, I wouldn't want to pay him that much either. You know, I think, his, and we'll see what his market is. But yeah, go ahead.
2: Well, and then the other option, I don't want to go through everyone that could be there, would be trading for somebody under contract. My, let's call it best case scenario for the Hornets would be figuring out something if the compensation is there to get Miles Turner. And yeah, they I don't
1: supposedly know. have according to Jay Michaels reporting, they have always been extremely interested in Miles Turner.
2: Yeah, because um, Turner, he he, you know, we saw the rim protection that he could provide last year and three years ago, not as much two years ago. And also Turner, his th- i I still think there's more there's more room to grow for him as a three point shooter probably not the full jaron jackson volume plus success but he could he can do some things there
1: yeah and my concern there is you know like he spaces the floor i would i do want to pair uh lamello with an elite role man like that is i think i think that unlocks him more than just having a ton of space and having him iso and blow by guys like i wanted to be able to play in that normal pick and roll game
2: i i agree but i think getting the defensive upgrade that turner would sure. be over some no i mean up.
1: turner is definitely better than these other guys that yes
2: but about. also we don't know how available what the what the cost of that would be that's the why you go right. after unrestricted free agents is it doesn't cost anything and i'm sure there will be some intrigue with jared allen because allen is younger he's 23 and rim runner can you know another guy who you think could maybe do more with the right pick and roll partner but cleveland acquired him the cleveland can match reasonable offers on jared allen and yeah charlotte we'll see
1: if they if they want to draft evan Mobley though that could change their thinking yeah, on allen.
2: that could change that maybe maybe there's a door that opens there maybe there's a door that opens with mitchell robinson depending on how the knicks want to handle that i don't think so yeah and and for charlotte there's also the question i mean another option this came up when we talked about memphis recently is they could conceptually roll roll space over to to next year the challenge is that terry rosie like the big guy that expires is terry rosier who they'll probably want to keep so it isn't it isn't clear yeah. cut that that's necessarily i would spend the money this year for them unlike where memphis where i advocated that they should spend it in 2022 so it's i just wanted to mention it as a possibility it's not something i support because there will be more competition and it's not clear that the hornets are going to have more money to spend then. yeah
1: i at one point liked john collins as a potential Fit here uh, and more really to kind of play center. But now it seems like with the Hawks advancing the way that they have, that they are not going to move on from him. You know, one thing that I might have considered though is what if you make collins an offer you know somewhere in like the four year hundred million dollar range and then you're able to then you put pj washington in a sign and trade to get him you know maybe that's something that you could consider because i mean man collins would be unbelievable offensively playing with Lamelo. he's pretty pretty good playing center with trey young too but you know that that's a thought i had i don't That's i'm just throwing that out there i don't consider that a particularly realistic option they may value pj more i, I pj's defensive concerns and finishing concerns are are a problem for me though would you Uh, give any
2: consideration to instead like let's say the right the right centers whatever Rashawn Holmes wants to go back to Sacramento you you can't get anybody can't get anybody who really moves the needle would you consider like one of the I don't know what are the two guards on the market or or somebody else who's worth worth the middle level or is it just like none of those guys really make sense like I I, there's a I gave a second thought of like Dinwiddie and Lamelo would be fascinating
1: yeah I, I mean I think they're pretty set at guard though already I think they also. Yeah, I would not go with the two because I think they got Terry Rozier already. He was on a reasonable contract. And yeah, but he. But can,
2: Rozier, Rozier. only has a reasonable contract for one more year. We don't know where he's going to go. Like, well, I, I think but, that you.
1: Yeah, we'll see how much he's willing to extend for. I mean, they can offer yeah. him a, a pretty good. They could offer him four years, ninety-six million, if yeah. they wanted to. Well,
2: and that gets into one other thing I wanted to discuss for sure with the Hornets is that while they have this capacity to spend right now, and things might work out because Gordon Hayward's contract expires the same year that LaBella Ball is going to get his raise, whether that's through an extension or a new contract. The guys that they like on this team are going to get more expensive and relatively soon. Miles Bridges is extension eligible this offseason. PJ Washington will be extension eligible next offseason. And then we'll see with, you know, Rozier, what's going on with him. And so there is a possibility that if they spend aggressively this year, especially if they spend aggressively and then retain Devontae Graham, and let's say Graham's making, I don't know, eight to 10 million a year, it's not that much money. But as we learn from like the Minnesota to Timberwolves small things can add up pretty quickly and so I don't know that Michael Jordan is thinking about the tax now and they're far enough away that he doesn't need to but if Bridges gets a big deal or Washington gets a big deal the math might get a little bit hairy here
1: yeah i'm not that worried about washington getting a big deal i mean at least if i'm running the Hornets, because i just don't think he's that great um but yeah that's uh and i guess the the other thing they have to do too is just get some depth on the wing just a a veteran placeholder who doesn't suck or or maybe even as a backup for you know your mo harkless type of options because you just don't want to be Jalen mcdaniel's has made some strides but you don't want to be in a situation where you got to play him like you get one injury and you're playing him 30 minutes a game That that's not where you or you got to pay play cody martin 30 minutes a game like they getting one more guy in there i think would be good and yeah i think that's a that's about all i've got here on i mean the
2: the the only other thing i'll say is the charlotte at the moment they have the number 11 pick we haven't you know we haven't gotten deep enough in the in our scouting to know who we'd want then but the expectation would be that somebody who will be a part of your future not necessarily a like an immediate contributor if you want to give them some minutes you can but best prospect available straight up that's what they should do all
1: right well made for you so why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Using our CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino, I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O, Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us.
0: Come on to Michael Schwartz of ESPN. It works more
1: behind the scenes these days, but one of the most cogent should i say suns watchers that i know it's been a a tradition glad to have you on here for i think now the sixth year in a row
3: oh wow i can't believe it's been that many um of those six this is the first time we're talking about what's expected to be a good phoenix suns team so that's a nice little
1: change yeah oh, actually i think i might have had paul coro on at some point during the early years okay uh but it's been yeah, at least since- four yeah, it's Maybe kind of five. been a it's kind of been a revolving door at Suns beat writer. So yeah, uh, I know that you won't be uh, leaving the quote unquote beat as a Suns fan. So right, right,
3: right. I'm here to stay.
1: Yeah. So could the Suns no longer be staying among the ranks of non playoff teams? That is what we are here to talk about. And uh, of course, just to run through, I think their offseason acquisitions first. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Chris Paul oh, yeah. was the big one uh, and then they got Jalen Smith number 10 in the draft and they filled out their depth pieces nicely as well with Langston Galloway Dario Saric is back Javon Carter is back campaign is back They also got Damian Jones and uh they got Jay Crowder as well so that uh and each Moore. so they actually got a lot of good veteran depth pieces now on this team and let's start with Chris Paul what does he do for the Suns franchise to you
3: I mean he, he does everything you you already see it in these clips he's 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 already coaching everyone up, talking to Mikel. He's going to make an incredible impact with DeAndre Ayton, Um, just the intensity of Chris Paul. Um, Some of the things that Ayton has done just aren't going to slide with him. But on the court, I think the biggest thing is the last few years, you've really had one offensive centerpiece in Devin Booker. And when he's off the court, uh, the offense has frankly been terrible. Last year, the Suns were 15 points per 100 possessions better offensively when Booker was on than off. They just didn't have that engine to continue to uh, keep the offense humming. And now you add in Chris Paul, I imagine they're going to stagger them where you always have one of Booker or Paul on the court. And then in crunch time and at the start of games and quarters, you'll have both of them. So I think having a second offensive centerpiece like that is just enormous because that's
1: that's what all the best teams have, really. Yeah, and I think adding that to a team that went 8-0 in the bubble, Mm-hmm. And the question becomes, uh, how real... Was what they did in the bubble like? What parts of that do you expect to continue, or does anything stick out to you as, eh, you know, that might not be sustainable? Obviously, a one thousand winning percentage is not sustainable, but you know, as you compare that to the larger sample size of the regular season, but the bubble obviously is more recent as well, and it might account for things such as uh Cameron Payne joining the team and playing well, the young players yeah. taking a step forward, etc. So, what did you make of the bubble then in its uh, predictive? power going into this season
3: yeah I mean I think they finally put it all together I felt at various points in the year they were just about there all year long their starting lineup is really good uh, their lineup with obviously Ubere and Rubio not there anymore but with all, them and Aiton and Booker and Bridges they were 20 points plus 20 points for under possessions uh, last season Uh, which was third best in the NBA, minimum 100 minutes. So their starting lineup really cooked. What was interesting to me was the bench was incredible in the bubble, certainly compared to uh, uh, earlier in the season when they pretty much didn't have a bench. Dario Saric... Really found himself as a as a small ball five. Um, you mentioned campaign; he gave them the backup point guard they didn't have all year. I, he he was playing out of his mind, uh, hitting a ton of threes. I don't know if that's sustainable per se, um, and Javon Carter too. But I think that was one of the things that was largely uh, different. But I think the the dominance of the starting lineup really wasn't different. I think that was something that had happened all season under the radar, but um, the team in totality, the the bench was so bad that it kind of took away from that so I think that um what Booker did and what Bridges did and and Cam Johnson who certainly took a step forward in the bubble but was pretty good all year I think that was real um like you said you're you're not going to win 100% of your games they certainly had a couple games for example against Oklahoma City where pretty much only Chris Paul played they missed Embiid uh they you know it's At that point of the year, a lot of teams were uh, resting their their guys for the playoffs, so they certainly got some of the—they missed Porzingis in the last game, so they certainly had some of that luck, but at the same time, I think the starters playing
1: well is legit yeah i th- i would say 3 of those 8 wins off the top of my head were against teams that just weren't trying at all definitely um so that's you know and, and they had another game that was really close against the clippers which was a, one of the best games of the season it was a great game and they win. were
3: they were trying
1: yes yes they definitely were trying it in that one uh and uh, trying hard enough to follow devin booker on it on his game winning yeah. shot and not oh, have yeah. it get called but uh so I think that that's really an important point to make is that the reason these guys weren't seriously in playoff contention during the regular season last year was just these massive holes that they had on this, this roster. And, you know, they weren't quite Atlanta Hawks level of bad, but you mentioned the two guys, Rubio and Booker and the starting lineup and Rubio, I I, correct me if I'm wrong, I think he had the best net rating on the team last year. It was pretty close. Yeah, he did. Yeah. And then, you know, like thanks to his backups. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think they were like something like, you know, plus five or something when when he was on the floor, which for a below 500 team to have a starter with a plus five and to still have a negative net rating (laughs) is pretty ugly. And then you mentioned that they couldn't score with Booker off the floor. And that's why I'm so excited about some of these additions and maybe you could say they're relying a little bit too much on Cameron Payne to do what he did in the bubble I mean that was just such an underrated thing to have him there and not just be hemorrhaging during those minutes but he played well enough to me that he deserves a shot at those backup point guard minutes but if he doesn't work out I really like that they have this other plan of they signed Langston Galloway great contract for him he's sort yeah. of the exact guy you would want next to Devin Booker if you're not going to have a traditional point guard who can guard the other team's point guard and light it up from three um so you could easily slide him in as backup point guard if it's not working out with Payne next to Booker and then of course they'll have Paul uh to run the offense when Booker is that so Pretty much everywhere now. As you look up and down this roster, they've got like ten deep in very right. solid NBA players at this point.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And um, to your point there, I think the biggest question mark is who, what is, what are you going to get from your backup guards? Because you have a ton of them. You have a Payne and Carter. Then you have Galloway and Etwan Moore. Um, certainly not all of them are going to be playing consistently. But also, I don't know when you talk about an eight man playoff lineup uh, rotation. Excuse me. I don't know which one of those guys is that eighth player, you know, and even further, if Booker or Paul are out for a a large period of time, I don't know which one of those guys is going to step up and really be that offensive fulcrum. Obviously, campaign unbelievable in the bubble, but you don't expect that level to necessarily sustain itself based on what he's done in his career
1: yeah as long as he can give you capable backup point guard minutes so I think you yeah. can feel okay particularly because he'll probably be playing most of his minutes next to Devin Booker so he's not yeah. gonna have to do that much um and then on the wing they did lose Kelly Oubre who is a big piece didn't play for them in the bubble though right uh, that the, I'm not sure how much that changed the dynamic uh but it did allow Mikhail Bridges to take over and Bridges really emerged as one of the best defenders in the league you know I, I will take the L on this one, I was a little bit skeptical after his rookie year. You were telling me, oh man, this guy is like unbelievable he's, yeah. he's this hawk and i'm like yeah you know like he's i mean he seems a little skinny like seems like he'd be a good team defender the numbers on him were awesome but i was like i discounted those because i i felt like there was just they had nobody else who even had like any kind of a brain or any kind of effort defensively two years ago on the wing uh yeah. but no i mean f when i really had a chance to lock him in the bubble and i think he was better in the bubble as well but that tj warren game in particular when warren was coming off averaging like 40 points a game yeah uh his first three games of the bubble and he just Just erased... TJ Warren and so I'm not sure that Bridget you know the next step for him is going to be can you guard Kawhi and LeBron and you know we'll right. see whether he can hold up strength wise but if you have anybody at the one through three at this point like he gets over screens incredibly well he's really intense he's got long arms like just loved what we saw from him in the ball so and, and I think having a clear start starting role for him as a lower usage guy fitting in well with Paul Booker and Aiton he's about as good as you could hope for there
3: yeah and then offensively he's a really smart cutter. Uh, He may lead the league in points off cuts playing with uh, Chris Paul and and Devin Booker. And then uh, the big thing with him coming out of college, he was a really good three-point shooter at Villanova. Uh, his stroke, let's say it kind of developed a bit of a hitch and that started to smooth its way out. Um, not sure if it's exactly Villanova bridges still, but um, he's proving himself to be a, a capable three point shooter. I think he was up to 36 or so percent. Imagine he can get it a little bit higher, but yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, don't know if, if he's necessarily strong enough at this point to shut down the LeBrons of the world, although who is? Um, but even an, uh, to throw out another player, since the Suns seem to play them all the time, he just does a great job on Luka Doncic. Uh, Luka's still going to put up his numbers, but uh, there's a couple of times where where Mikel will make him look silly. So even even a player of that caliber, you can stick him on there. They're still going to score, but uh, you can feel really good about the job he's going to do.
1: Yeah, and then how do you see the rotation rotation shaking out uh, at the four and five position. Yeah, I think that's
3: uh, one of the really interesting parts about this team. So you draft a player number 10 overall. You think this might be your last top 10 pick for for quite a while And Jalen Smith. And I just don't know where he fits in on this year's roster, per se. Obviously, DeAndre Ayton, you expect to be playing 30, 35, something like that minutes a game. And then Dario Saric really established himself as somebody who who can be somewhat of an offensive fulcrum uh, with the second unit just really thrived i think he might have been their third leading scorer in the bubble something like that uh third or fourth certainly and you you want a decent number of his minutes to be coming there and then you've got cam johnson and jay crowder who are probably going to soak up a good majority of the four minutes so i just don't know where jalen smith's time this year is going to be that you know that's okay rookies generally aren't that great in their first year but um i see yeah i don't know who's going to start per se and who's going to close between cam and jay crowder but i imagine they're going to take the majority of the minutes the four along with uh, some of the time at the the three behind mckell And then um, Dario certainly will take some of the four minutes as well as hopefully getting a decent bit of his time at the five.
1: Yeah, you know my hope. as we can talk about Smith first. In some of what I've, I've watched, I haven't watched these entire games. Their first two preseason games against Utah, but Smith played largely at the four there. Now that's yeah. because they've had absences Three. from Crotter and Cam Johnson and Sharich so yeah. they didn't really have anyone else there to start. The last the man four. standing like, yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even Chris Paul only played yesterday. So so they've been putting out a skeleton crew. But yeah. I did think Smith showed to me more off the. The bounce face-up ability in yes. playing the four than i thought that he had and they didn't play him at the five bunch it was a lot of damian jones if damian jones plays for this team that's going to be a major mm-hmm. problem i my hope that, is just that, i do
3: not expect that
1: <laughs> yeah my, my hope is that i mean you would obviously you would want to go even to sharich at, at backup center is definitely the in the bubble instead of damian jones that's uh, uh if he's out there maybe it's he a, will be for a few games but it's
3: a break glass in case of emergency. emergency
1: yeah or maybe sign someone else off the street sure or that <laughs> he was he was uh he struggled uh with the atlanta hawks last year and obviously with the golden state warriors before that but uh, that's enough talk of, of damian jones so yeah the smith is interesting i mean the yeah. he's purported to be a rim sector he's very thin yes. i think they would like to move him in a little bit they passed on a lot of players I think that would have been nice fits Tyrese Halburton is one yeah, that yep. I think would have been really nice next to Booker in that same kind of, you know, Langston Galway role, except he can, dribble and has a a ton more size and passing ability yeah um so that he would have been a nice fit we'll see whether jalen smith is worth it or not but the question becomes you know and if he can face up and play the four with his shooting and maybe be able to put it on the floor a little bit that's nice you could have some secondary rim protection out there but then can he stay with guys on the perimeter is a question mark and then you know you think he would slot in as a backup five, but he did look pretty thin out there. We'll see whether that's something that he's actually able to do or not very well. And you're
3: right. I was watching some of those preseason games. I was amazed his ability to (laughs) take a guy off the dribble just because you you don't expect that from a guy of his size. And then also how fluid he was shooting threes. So he has the skills you would want of a guy who you certainly hope eventually largely a backup five, but who can also play the four. It's still, I'm not sure if you want him and Aiton out there too long Um, together except when you're going against maybe a Lakers lineup with Anthony Davis and Mark Gasol or something like that
1: so to me this is something that we've talked about on this show for a couple of years now and we said well hey this team is going to go as far as Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton can take them and now as you look down at it I mean they've within these last couple of years and you know who knew that Chris Paul would be available and then he would still play as well as as he did last year but uh Those two guys now, there's more around them than I ever would have expected this quickly and right. now now really the rubber is going to meet the road uh, and Devin Booker I mean to me he did a great job last year was should have made the all-star team at first blush rather than mm-hmm. as an injury replacement in the west you know the fact that Brandon Ingram made it over him I thought was totally insane and then he looked great in the bubble as well I mean he's looking like you know he's someone who can be the foundation of a very good offense and you know took some strides forward defensively that's always always something that's going to wax and wane for him but he's not as hopeless as he was there Uh, I I got no real concerns that he's going to be able to deliver. And so it all comes down to DeAndre Ayton because, as we talked about, they're really thin. They don't really have another established true center on this roster. What is the latest with DeAndre Ayton. How are you feeling about this year for him?
3: Yeah, it's it's an enormous year, and obviously at the end of the year, he'll be rookie extension eligible, and I really don't know what that amount's going to be, um, w- whether, even if it makes sense. I mean, certainly the the rookie max, it feels like he kind of needs to earn it. Um, a number one overall pick, you kind of expect that to eventually be the case. Um, he certainly made strides defensively. He allowed 65% shooting at the rim as a rookie, which was very bottom of the league among high volume uh, defenders and last year was down to 54%. So some really nice strides there. You can see him getting it. He certainly doesn't look lost as often as he as he did as a rookie. And it's it's crazy to say this, but I really think that the the Chris Paul effect is a lot of what's going to come down to. Um you know, you you see a lot of goofiness. I mean, even even like you take last year, he missed a COVID test and missed the first quarter of a game when the Suns are in the fight for their playoff lives. You know, like that kind of sort of immaturity is something you don't really want to be happening. Um, But the tools are still all there I mean um, he's he he puts up almost a a 20 and 11 type of performance without it seemingly breaking a sweat I think he can be one of the best rebounders in the league he's a vastly improving rim defender I think he can at least move his feet a little bit on the perimeter Uh, he certainly takes too many mid-range jump shots but um, certainly playing pick and roll with Chris Paul I think he can be unstoppable there so the the range with him is is really interesting whether he's just going to be where it's just a a 20 and 11, but not making an enormous impact or whether you can kind of take it to the next level. And I think this is the year we're really going to see that.
1: Yeah. So Aiton, I thought I completely agree with you defensively. You mentioned the shooting at the rim. That's a great stat. And I mean, that was the the thing that most concerned me as a rookie wasn't even that, you know, his intelligence level was not very high on the defensive end. It was that he would be there and he just wasn't affecting guys shots. Right. And I worried that he just does not have that natural shot blocking acumen and then he comes out in the first game and i think he had more yeah, blocks had four, in a game yeah, than he had ever yeah, had right. and then he gets shut down for 25 games and then he sprains his yeah. ankle again and he misses you know he only ended up playing 38 games last year so yeah i mean he improved more than i thought was possible for him last year because he was so bad as a rookie but now yeah. it's really gonna be he's gonna be under a microscope because there he is the potential weak link now on this team and on this defense he and booker are and so if he's not producing there's really gonna be a, a spotlight on him and you know i think the this new coaching staff has done a great job of coaching him up and he does ha- as you mentioned have the physical tools that seven five wingspan and as a one-on-one defender he's actually like very very solid and so yeah. uh You know, this isn't a team that's probably going to do a lot of switching, but maybe they can at the late in the clock. And then on offense, just learning more of the pick and roll craft as a big man and just setting the angles of the screen, being able to slip making plays where he's not going to hot potato it towards the rim every time he catches it at the elbow immediately because they're too good for that now like they can't afford for him to waste possessions shooting 38 percent or whatever it's going to be for mid-range right. um and he's got guys who can get in the ball on quick duckins as well you know i think paul is a really nice fit for his style as a pick and roll man to be able to get on the offensive glass to get like a quick seal as paul is meandering around in the mid-range like they don't take up the same area having this sort of a role man uh you know chris paul hasn't had that since uh deandre jordan really i guess you could say clint capella was that too but um but he and, and Chris and Paul, yeah, much Sorry.
3: better offensively than either of those players. I mean, you know, those guys are roll to the rim, dunk it type of guys. DeAndre can do yep. a lot more. He can even pass it a little bit. He can shoot the. <laughs> you don't want too far in the mid range, but he does have a shooting touch. At least he's not like DeAndre Jordan, where he's, he's not going to be taking jump shots at all. So there's a lot of versatility to unlock there with with Chris Paul.
1: Yeah, I would think that they would want to try to match up his minutes directly with chris paul where and so that paul always has a, a good role man out there they don't really have anyone else like that right on this team unless it's it's going to be damian jones <laughs> yeah, i was just gonna know, say that but yeah yeah which, which would be no. terrifying so yeah i would definitely want to because booker you know he can i think not having ayton out there a booker to me could look better when you have uh sharich out there booker's got pretty good size too they could maybe do a little more switching that way as well and let booker get to the rim. booker doesn't necessarily need the screen of the pick and roll as much and he's not as good of a passer as paul paul really just has to have that good role man to really be at his most effective and i agree with you i was going to say the exact same thing you did that deandre has uh more skill than uh his fellow deandre jordan and yeah. you know just as a way to kind of seal position get a quick pass take a dribble or two and finish make the next pass if it's there so yeah i do expect that paul and combo to be a very solid one.
3: And like you're saying, I mean, it's, it just is, you hate to say make or break third year. It's not like his career is going to be decided by this season, but it's an enormous year whether he's going to take that leap where this is an all-star type of
1: guy or whether he's just going to be a pretty good center yeah I mean and Monty Williams isn't going to fuck around this year right like if DeAndre Eaton is having a really bad defensive game he'll throw in Dario Saric I think to close games at center and go with a smaller group uh because if if Eaton isn't stopping anybody then you might as well just give a little more space for some of these other guys to work as well and you know I mean I'm not predicting that that's going to happen but you know if he's just having a miserable defensive game they're trying to win like they're not trying to develop anymore like that. That honeymoon, that entitlement aspect is over for these guys. Any other kind of playing time, lineup issues uh, that stick out for you uh, with this group? Well, I mean, just like what I was saying before,
3: I really don't know how all the backup guard minutes are going to go because you've got a lot of guys who, in theory, Payne, um, uh, Javon Carter, and then the two acquisitions, Galloway and Etwan Moore, all deserve some semblance of minutes, but there's just not a lot of minutes there after Chris Paul and Devin Booker. So I don't really know how that's going to shake out. Um, you certainly, campaign's the one sort of true point guard, so you figure he's going to get some time um, in that regard. But I, yeah, I, I really don't know. I think that's something that they're going to need to shake out and I'm sure somebody's not going to be too happy with with their lack of playing time out of that group.
1: Yeah, and they are going to need to find a way to when let's say that they do stagger Paul and Booker, you are going to want to have one more offensive threat probably out there. With those groups, and, and I'm not sure exactly who that is on this roster. Maybe Payne and Paul could play together a little bit, um yeah, or maybe they just post up DeAndre, and that's kind of their secondary way of attacking there. And they just put a ton of shooting around those two guys. Maybe that's yeah. something that they would try to do also. um Yeah, you know, I mean, who who do you think should get the minutes at, at that backup guards position, and, and maybe moving into the three a little bit, some as well?
3: I mean, I think f- uh, from what I've seen in <laughs> two games preseason Langston Galloway is just shooting the hell out of it and I could see that spacing ability being something that they want and then campaign again it's how much how real was the bubble just a, a, a frankly a huge bust in his career he was picked right in the area of Devin Booker I believe between Booker and Ubre in the 2015 draft really didn't show anything, was in the G League, all of a sudden gets called up and completely changes the the Suns' backup point guard position. So if he can be that guy who's a pest defensively, pushing the pace, hitting a
1: ton of threes, he's definitely going to play if he
3: continues to do anything close to
1: what he did in the bubble yeah I think Galloway again the fact that they got him at the minimum was really surprising to me I I was just shocked that his market dried up and because he was really good in Detroit last year I think he might have even led that team in minutes I want to say off the top of my head and you know he's been a 40 percent three-point shooter and yeah you know he might have been a little bit overpaid at seven million a year but no I mean I I expect him to be pretty good Javon Carter is still on this team too and and he shot it he, he maybe gives them a little bit more defense on their second unit that's maybe a, a concern that you might have if you're not going to have Mikhail Bridges out there you're going to have inexperience at center or you're going to have Sharach who's undersized there you might want to just get a little bit more of a defensively focused guy you could also even maybe consider playing Javon Carter some at the backup three kind of in a similar role to what the Bulls did with Chris Dunn yeah. last year where he's tough enough where he can guard whoever that best threat is on some of these bench units and then you know, you even if you don't have a you know an another like real star level of ball handler you can just get enough guys together that it just kind of works you know a lot of teams like the raptors the Mavs have done that where you just play two point guards together and maybe if even if neither of them are a star you have enough places to attack that you can get some offense so maybe that's something they could go to
3: there's definitely going to well. be nights where you're going to want carter's energy to come in and you know maybe you're a little bit flat coming out of the gates and you know you know he's going to be picking up full court and if in the bubble at least certainly hitting a lot of three so you're definitely going to want his boost. I don't know what his exact day-to-day role is, but there's definitely situationally going to be times where you want him. And then uh, going back to the bubble, the lineups with Payne, Carter, and Booker were absolutely unbelievable. So that might be a trio that that you trot out there every so often when, when Paul's on the bench.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Because they really, I mean, they only have probably at this point one true three. I mean, that's every, every time right. issue. More maybe you could figure there uh, at small forward as well. I think more to me, is probably the guy that I would expect to get the least playing time out of that group yeah, that I agree. we mentioned. Uh, you know, he I, I think he's still capable, but he's not as high volume of a three-point shooter. He's lost some athleticism as well. You know, I'm not sure that he's a quality defensive option anymore. I mean, he's gonna he can drive in and shoot his floater. He's not going to kill you out there, but it's hard to see what his plus skill is. Now, I think that's it's a totally fine signing at the minimum, but maybe not a guy you want to count on in the rotation at this point in his career. Well, what
3: I think's interesting about him, you go back... Back to last year's roster if, if Etwan moore is your 11th 12th guy on the team like that's just such an upgrade over what their 11th 12th guy has been the last few years because that's still a guy you can throw out there get you some buckets once in a while you know he's certainly a playable player who uh can do some things for you which is just something the lack of depth they just haven't had whatsoever the last few years
1: who are you going to start at the fourth
3: um This that is really a tough question. Um, I would my cop out answer is situationally. But my answer, if if I really have to say someone, I'm going with Cam Johnson. I just love the way he spaces the floor. Um, What they did with that trio or quartet last year. uh, Now you add in chris paul instead of ricky rubio i just think that the amount of three-point shooting that he gives you outweighs the kind of defensive versatility of of jay crowder
1: i agree there and also crowder is a veteran also i think their bench group as we mentioned might be a little light on defense so maybe crowder can fit in there a little bit more again particularly if you want to potentially do more switching with that if you're going to play sharich at center so and i think you've got enough high usage guys crowder to me actually you know maybe takes a few more shots than you'd like most of the time he was hitting them yeah in miami um but i think seeing how fresh crowder was in the bubble i thought was a little bit of a revelation for me because he's just looked worn down the last few years and so keeping him fresh and then maybe particularly if you have a tough matchup in the playoffs maybe you could slide him in in the playoffs but i see no reason to play jay crowder a bunch of minutes and wear him down during the regular season i just love the idea of cam johnson spacing the floor for these other guys and just being a guy that you can't leave and so now you've got booker paul and ayton handling most of the heavy lifting and uh bridges and johnson spacing the floor for them i think that all fits together really really well
3: yeah i agree completely and i mean that was why they were so effective in the bubble um even when it was ricky rubio instead of chris paul uh can't tell you how many open threes cam johnson got just because you've got to pick your poison and uh, more often than not you're looking at the direct threat and and that's that's the kind of shooter you want on the court uh, around a pick and roll type duo of Paul and Ayton and then to say nothing of Devin Booker.
1: Yeah, so Johnson has missed a little time with left calf cramps early on and he's has these hip injury and some other nagging stuff crowder often has some nagging injuries as well so they're they might end up getting a little bit thin at those combo forward three three uh and four spots if they have an injury or two or an absence or two. I guess sh- shall we say. So, yeah, um, the
3: depth looks yeah. great until you start playing and someone gets hurt and yeah, I mean you essentially have three wings there with um with Jay, Mikel, and Cam Johnson. So, it's pretty vital that you have all three of them when it really counts because there's there's just really not a lot behind them.
1: Yeah, I think uh, Abdel Nader who came over from OKC, yeah, yep. he might be another break glass in case of emergency guy who yeah. has really improved his shot and you know, he's never gotten a huge chance. You know, he didn't really fit into kind of like what OKC likes. But he is someone I think could, could get a few minutes again in the regular season and not kill you. Hopefully he's OK after uh, it, Yudoka Azubuke got ejected for a hard foul on him where he hit his head on the floor yesterday.
3: Yeah, no, he's, he'll definitely get some time in the regular season. Because like you said, those guys are going to
1: miss some games,
3: especially with how condensed the schedule is. But just, yeah, long term or in the playoffs... You want to be going with those three wings with the majority of those minutes.
1: Is there anything that you think the national conversation hasn't been focusing on enough with these guys going into the season?
3: I mean I think just one thing that's interesting I, th- I think the Suns moves of late just get panned so quickly just because they're the Suns and they've been making bad moves for a decade so even like the the discourse around the, the TJ Warren trade was somewhat frustrating just because to me this was a guy I'd seen with the Suns for five years and he's he's a guy who averages just over one assist a game you know and it, it just was a really bad fit for what Monty Williams wanted to do and even though the trade the value certainly was poor having to give up a second round pick and a high one at that to get rid of him uh it just made a lot of sense for what the team needed opening up the salary cap space for uh, tj warren certainly the six for 11 and dario trade was another one that actually has worked out really well um so i think it's there's a lot of what are the Suns doing because they've made a lot of head scratching moves but then there's so many that have happened in the last two years and then if you go back and compare the roster from two years ago it's kind of night and day so i think that's one thing that um i think that's something that i know suns twitter will often get frustrated with about the the national discourse around the suns that um the the kind of looking at the small picture and and james jones has proven himself to be a guy who doesn't care about asset valuation yet at the end of the day he's got a much better roster
1: Yeah. And they have gotten a lot better. And I think, you know, if you put a gun to my head on the Chris Paul trade, for example, and said, okay, really the only way we can do this is by including Oubre and this future pick that's not entirely lottery protected. Okay. I I would end up, I probably would have done that deal anyway, although they certainly bought high uh, on Chris Paul. And, you know, there is an opportunity cost to paying Chris Paul $40 million a year. And, you know, there was also the aspect of, Not using the cap space, completing the deal before free agency started. And again, it would have been nice to keep your optionality open there. But as it turned out, they got Jay Crowder and they were able to bring back Charit. And that was far superior to probably what they could have done if they used that 17 18 million in cap space in the end. Last summer, you know, I think the the move with uh you know giving up on anthony Melton, who's looked really good and just got a $10 million a year contract. And giving up a second round pick. Yeah, giving up a second. They did get Carter back in that at least least who helps but yes you know and and doing that to get off of josh jackson rather than stretching him as well you know i mean this is they had plenty of salary cap space they could have done that if they really had yeah i think in in hindsight you certainly would have rather stretched him certainly looking at that move a year out
3: that certainly was a mistake hence me not saying it in my little preamble <laughs> but, um, uh, so, yeah. you know, you are certainly not going to bat a, a thousand, but I think just in the totality of the moves, you know, you certainly needed to get off that money, um, I'm with you. that That wasn't the best use That wasn't the best way to do it. But um, yeah, I think it's it's people are so quick to uh, to criticize things. And some of them, you know, you look at the the asset valuation at the beginning. It doesn't look too pretty. But I think a lot of the moves have turned out. Certainly, to me, the um, the Cam and Dario trade. Now that you resigns Sharic, uh, Cam Johnson certainly looks a lot better than uh, what is pre-draft. Uh, stock was at uh, looks like a guy definitely deserving of an 11th overall pick even if maybe there were some guys picked after him who also would have been deserving of that Brandon Clark namely I think
1: things don't look quite so bad no I, I that's certainly the case and you know we'll see I mean part of why Johnson was not rated as highly was due to some of his injury issues which did yeah. pop up a little bit last year so it's too early to say on that and certainly I would rather have Cam Johnson than Jared Culver Uh, But also Kobe White was available there. And, you know, we'll see where where he ends up this year. They did need a point guard at that time. Now they have Chris Paul, so that doesn't matter as much. But Chris Paul, uh, you know, in theory, you still have, yeah, they're better now. But, you know, what are they going to be two years from now when Booker and Aiton are, like, really in their primes uh, and they they need some less expensive contributors? So, I mean, my biggest problem has just been that I thought the execution of the moves, if not the initial vision, you know, is really something where where they just kind of missed on some cap things. Then we'll see what happens with Jalen Smith uh, as well. I just taking a center and one who just you already have DeAndre and you have so much invested with him where yep. there's just only so much that he can do at number 10 when again you had other guys like Halliburton on the board and we'll see whether Jalen Smith is better than those guys not. if Jalen Smith is better than those guys then they made the right decision obviously right
3: um, and and yeah. and I'm with you there I thought Halliburton would have been the perfect fit I thought like you said he would have been an awesome fit next to Booker and could kind of be that next guy once Paul leaves to, to be your backcourt of the future whereas now uh, probably the biggest hole going forward is what are you going to do at point guard after Chris Paul? You aren't really going to have any cap space um, once you do the Bridges and Ayton and deals, which I expect there to be some sort of extension for those two guys, at least at this point. And so I, I really have no idea how they're going to get that next really, really strong point guard um, that you really need to complete this team. So I think that's kind of the, you know, we're certainly getting ahead of things for we talking about this year, but I think that's the one thing. And then just um, the Robert Sarver cheap stuff, I think hasn't really been an issue just because the Suns haven't really been in a position to spend a lot of money. The last really decade or so, um, they've just been kind of a bad team and it, it, it wouldn't have made sense to spend too much or they always seem to have cap space or there's only so much you can spend. So now I'm really curious What's going to happen? Booker's on his max deal, of course. You've got um, Paul for two years. Then you're going to have the Bridges and and extensions coming up. Uh, Are you going to be willing to pay those guys what they're worth and then still... Uh, keep on using whatever mid-level exception you have to keep adding to it or are you going to be scared of the tax and i'm certainly nervous about what that answer is going to be and whether it's just that paul's basically a placeholder for when the eight bridges contracts go into effect and and then this is the team going forward so that's that's the one thing that um I really don't don't know how that's gonna go down. Um, that I think will be very interesting to the future. Whether it's just okay, you've got Chris Paul for these two years, but are you gonna keep really building this team up with elite talent, or is this gonna be a Booker eight and Bridges kind of core, and
1: and that's that. Yeah, we'll see how Paul plays this year too. Maybe there could be an option for him to opt out and then sign a longer-term deal. Yeah, Yeah. Less money, although it's you, that's tough to do when he's opting out of forty-four point seven million. Yeah, I don't know if he's opting out of that number. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or I mean, they could even just put you know, maybe they could get a year extension on the end of that as well. Certainly, something that would be reasonable. Um, so. Yeah, I I think the other thing that I would say that people don't talk about enough is just this offensive system and their passing. And this is one of the highest assist teams in the league last year. Yeah, Um, they led the league. Yeah, yeah. Um, And as you go through on Synergy, for example, and you look at... One thing that I like to look at is who are the players who are on the perimeter who finish a lot of cuts? But I, I think that can be... If you're getting a lot of those, like you're getting these system buckets, basically, where you're not even necessarily creating a a conventional opening necessarily and you're just getting guys open through the quality of your system and just playing smart basketball and the Suns were way up there Kelly Oubre was one of the best cutters in the league Bridges you mentioned uh, his ability as well Devin Booker totally unlocked his off ball game last year in in a way that I didn't expect to where I even named a cut that gets made after him because he does it so much now uh that cut out of the corner where he's about to come off the wide pin down and the guy wants to trail him and then he'll just cut right in front of him to the block for a layup. Uh, so maybe Chris Paul will take away from that ball movement and passing a little bit because he is more ball dominant than someone like Rubio, but he's also very able to dime guys up uh, on the move as well. in some of those system actions, they get like nice cut duck-ins for Sharich every once in a while as well. So he's not just relegated to being a, a spot up shooter. It really is a very, very nice looking offense these days.
3: Yeah, yeah, no, that's a great point. And that's that's one of the things I am thinking about. I do wonder how Chris Paul is going to play into it because Imani Williams calls it the point five system basically you want to um shoot or pass within 5.5 seconds and uh, that certainly hasn't been chris paul's game but at the same time he's as smart of a decision maker as there is in the league so i think he could be incredibly effective in it but it obviously will be kind of different than what we're used to so i think it will be interesting to see how that works but um yeah like i said at the beginning bridges certainly cam johnson booker there's going to be a lot more baskets off cuts this year with with chris paul finding them
1: And the other thing that I think might be a little bit more of an awkward fit with Paul is he doesn't really push the ball the way Ricky Rubio did there. They were so good in transition. Paul can do some hit-ahead passes. I mean, that's another place where Booker has been so good. Like, even after a make, if he'll catch the ball on the wing with a little bit of momentum on those hit-ahead passes and the big isn't back. He'll just go right after whoever that guy is who's guarding him, who's a little smaller. And a lot of times he'll just, you know, get a little bit of an advantage on him, feel the contact, throw something up, and he's shooting free throws before anyone's even turned their head around. Um, so that that's something they need to continue to do as well. Any other big strengths for these guys we haven't talked about yet?
3: I mean, I think the three-point shooting could be a big strength. That's something that James Jones has really focused on. And you look at the kind of acquisitions they've made and even up and down the roster, Everybody, with, with the exception, again, of Damian Jones um, and whatever, however real Ayton's three ball is, certainly wouldn't call him a three-point shooter. But everyone else shoots threes, and some of them shoot the three really well. So I think that this is a team that's, I mean, the whole league is going that way. But I certainly think that they're going to be an improved three-point shooting team off last year and perhaps one of the better
1: three-point shooting teams in the league that's really interesting to think of and replacing Chris Paul who's not a huge volume guy from three but he's also a, a much better three-point shooter than Ricky Rubio and you know you're not going to be saying hey let's leave, this is the guy we're gonna leave about Chris Paul anymore and so I think that'll really open things up for Booker a little bit more. You know, I think Bridges is going to have to prove that he can shoot it maybe at a little definitely. bit higher volume. Definitely. A, as he has uh, before, but yeah, I mean that's that's something that th- they really have everything offensively now on this team and I think your only reason to believe that it's not going to be really really good is just we haven't seen it yet um or, you know, potential injury to Chris Paul right. as well. But, you know, we'll see how this this all fits together offensively, but yeah, I mean they definitely have plenty of pieces uh, to make it really good. Um, and then one, yeah. one more note on that. I
3: sure. think this is kind of interesting that was sort of swept under the radar. But did you know the Suns actually set the NBA
1: record for free throw shooting in a season last year? <laughs> oh, percentage wise?
3: Yeah, percentage wise.
1: I don't think I did know that, actually. But yeah, now that uh, and, th- that might have come up in the bubble, actually, now that I think about it. But yeah, that's a good yeah.
3: one. I mean, they just barely moved ahead at, at the very end. And now you add a guy who shot over 90% from the line last year in Chris Paul. So I would certainly
1: expect them to be an elite, elite free throw through a shooting team well so here's my big question for you is going from ricky rubio to chris paul an upgrade or a downgrade in terms of bullshit foul drawing ability
3: yeah <laughs> uh, i think it's an upgrade i think i don't think there's too <laughs> many better than chris paul at that i think even just working the refs all that uh, there's not many better than than paul what uh, what he did he um forget the game against minnesota
1: when he basically
3: oh, oh the tuck jersey thing right what was that again Oh god yeah yeah that he, was yeah he basically Jordan won Bell. them a game
1: yeah yeah. So no, I, I mean I don't that's I, uh that's the cherry on top for for Chris Paul. Uh yeah. I, I mean the uh I, I, he's the master at drawing what I call the bridge to nowhere foul where he'll just sort of like if he sees the guy just kind of moving, he just decides that the area right next to that guy is the absolute most important real estate on the planet and yeah. will drive towards that area like it's a completely undefended rim and draw a foul and you look like, where is he going? He's like dribbling towards the sideline with one second left in the half and He's at half court, and yet he's still like drawing a foul. It's just, yeah, it's it's miserable to watch unless he's on your team. But hey, those are those are points, and he's such a great uh, foul drawer when in the bonus as well. Ricky might be a little better at him at drawing like the defensive fouls and the charges and stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, even in the
3: even in the preseason game that that he wasn't playing, he was working the refs. Oh, sorry. Um, well, I mean, I'm just really worried about (laughs) what happens if either Booker or. Uh, Chris Paul get hurt because I just don't think there's a lot of uh, shot creation behind them. So I think as long as you're staggering their minutes, this is going to be an offense that really hums. But um, if one of them misses time, I, th- I think that's an area where they just don't have a lot of depth. And then like we were saying earlier, same thing at the wings. If you lose a, a Mikel Bridges for a month or someone like that, you just don't really have the depth to adequately replace them. And in- in Bridges' case is certainly defensively.
1: Yeah, we'll see. Chris- First ball. Stayed healthy in OKC. They have a highly lauded training staff. Booker was healthy all last season, really for the first yeah. time in yeah. some time. You know, he had those recurrent hamstring issues and back issues previously. So uh, hopefully, that's all in the rearview mirror for him. But Chris Paul was top twenty in the NBA in minutes played last year, and that was something nobody expected going into the season. He's a year older. He has had a fair amount of time off, um and but we also have this truncated season, and so it, in games when. He he doesn't play i mean they at least have decent nba players who can come in behind him as Definitely. we talked about but yeah they don't necessarily have that shot creation skill set as you mentioned so yeah that that is a concern and we talked about the true the potential dearth of true big men their rim protection is probably i would say you know even though Aiton took strides there he's probably below average i would say they're below average a little bit in conventional pick and roll defense i think you can still attack that booker ayton combination to some degree so they're there are weaknesses here i mean i but you know they they seem like a solid playoff team to me at least uh, uh, i would say and uh, anything else that's concerning you from a weaknesses standpoint before we do
3: yeah no i mean that, that's the biggest thing and and then just um yeah just if if any of the key guys go down i, I just don't yeah. know if they're going to be able to really
1: stay afloat well and also while we talked about him as having some weaknesses what if see andre Aiden goes down yeah Absolutely. Uh, Then they're starting Damian Jones. Like, they're not going to start Sharich. Maybe they would start Jalen Smith again. Jalen Smith. I don't I know. I say, think they
3: might start Sharik. Yeah, really. That's at, the five, that's at huh? least what they did. I think in the one bubble game he missed. Yeah, but then yeah,
1: that you know obviously that's a whole effect. Then that really kills your bench. Yeah, and also um, they were I, they were like desperately trying to win and make it into the playoffs. But at that point, you know, I think they would probably view it as like, well, it's not sustainable to start Dario Sharik for 15 games when DeAndre right. certainly, was the certainly able. depending on who the other team's center is. Yeah, so then it's Smith. He, I mean, uh, while I was impressed. A lot would be on him. Yeah, I was impressed with his skill level, but he also looks real thin out there too. Like he, yeah. and maybe it's just because of what he, the way he was playing, but he kind of looked like more power forward size out there to me, but you know, that's on TV obviously. And he does have shot blocking ability. So, uh, but I think he's only like 225 or something. So they, uh, now the good news is if there were really any kind of a sphere injury with Dayton, you could probably, or they're going to the playoffs, they could pick up a traditional center on the buyout market or, you know, give up a second round pick for someone who can eat some innings for you. So it's not, that's the easiest position to fill at least definitely uh you ready for predictions here
3: yeah let's do it
1: okay let's uh let's get the record in here of what we had a season ago oh boy so uh you were i think particularly after the bubble occurred you looked a lot better than i did i i had 27 wins for this group last year and you had 35 which i think was the largest delta of anyone that i had uh and you know, eight and take They won thirty-four. Step- I'm sorry.
3: And they won thirty-four.
1: <laughs> yeah, they won thirty-four in a uh, whatever however many season. games season it was. Yeah, they uh, and they also in the end after the bubble now i i will say this if the bubble doesn't happen they you know they're not, they weren't going to win eight games in a row if not for that right like they're sure. they, they were uh trending kind of poorly with some of the issues that we talked about uh but they also won 2.3 games fewer than expected per cleaning the glass so this was basically in the end when you add it all up about a 500 level a team uh in terms of quality last year um so i will go first this year In terms of offense, I have them in a third tier in the 12 to 17 range, and that probably sounds low to a lot of people, and it sounded lower sounds a lot to me yeah well and so what i when i really went through it though there are some really really good offenses out there yeah this year you know and, and so here are the teams that i have from 12 to 17 that with them in a tier with and i have them at the top of that tier by the way uh phoenix atlanta philly who actually was 11th last year washington golden state and minnesota so i mean do you do you feel like they're like clearly a tier a, a cut above those teams maybe some of them
3: but uh, so, some of them yes uh i mean not not Philadelphia might be really good offensively and certainly don't uh, count out Golden State. It's hard to know exactly how things will go, but any Steph Curry offense, I'm certainly
1: going to be pretty high on. Um, yeah I mean and Minnesota with Carl Towns they've always been awesome whenever he's been on the floor they got D'Angelo Russell too now I mean this these are the offensive rankings let's be clear uh and same thing with Washington too when they had Beal and Bertans on the floor last year and they had a zero at point guard and they added Russell Westbrook who isn't unbelievable but it's going to help them certainly and you know Thomas Bryan is a really good offensive center like they've uh, they've added some depth uh as well and atlanta i mean they've got you know trey young and and they added a bunch of shooting as well like their offense should be pretty good so the the way i kind of reasoned it out was all of those teams are kind of coming together really for the first time and haven't mm-hmm. proven it yet so that's kind of why i had them a little bit below the teams i have above them are utah miami milwaukee the lakers denver so as i said there's a lot of good offenses out there right i mean are you yeah. you know you said it seems low but is there anyone that you think is you know clearly that phoenix is clearly better than among those i teams think they'll have a better mentioned? offense than utah I mean, utah played at the level of the best offense in nba history for a two and a half month period last year yeah i mean they've got donovan mitchell rudy gobert and like amazing shooting around those guys too and a big part of the reason why they weren't that great was because their bench offense sucked for the first two months of the season they fixed that now so i've and they've I mean, what was Utah offensively last year? They were they were in the top ten last year. So um again, I'm not saying that Phoenix can't get up to this level. It's just we haven't seen it yet, specifically with this group and the teams above them, we have seen it. Yeah. You know, I could see Milwaukee dropping, you know, I could see the Lakers dropping. Maybe but they added a bunch of offense too. So uh and Houston, you know, if, if Harden gets traded, they could they could drop also. But it's uh it is really an offensive league right now, man. I, I'm i was like yeah how could i only have phoenix 12 and then i looked at it and i'm like well there's a lot of other great teams too and also I, if i think you mentioned the creation too like if there's an injury to paul then i think this bench often starts to really have some problems which is something no question consider as well
3: um i know this is a insane small sample size and like you said they were playing three teams that weren't going too hard in the bubble but they did score 120 points per 100 possessions in the bubble so that's kind of the obvious i mean they're not going to do that for the whole season obviously but yeah. just they did that without chris paul so um i guess that's where my optimism that this could certainly be a a top 10 even top five offense potentially if they uh, continue playing like that well and i agree with you i think
1: like if you just look at this personnel and you're like like when i was kind of eyeballing it out i'm like hmm like this this could be a close to a top five offense if you look at this personnel and then i just compared them to other teams i'm like there's a lot of teams that could be what you would traditionally conceive of as a top five offense and so it's just uh I, i'm not ruling out that they could be that awesome in the slightest it's just i some of these other teams are a little bit more established playing at like a really high level offensively than they are um and i think that's i think that's the big thing with projecting the suns
3: overall like it's it's just so hard a team that's been bad for so long that you haven't seen it and even last year you really only saw it for eight games they were 20 six and 39 going into the bubble it's hard to be that optimistic about them
1: um and then defensively is really interesting here let me call up my defensive rankings I kind of have them as mid pack as well uh defensively you know I'm not sure that they're gonna be uh man I don't know maybe they maybe I should say that they're gonna be a lot better than last season there what were they last year they're like kind of low teens high high 20s so I I have them kind of you know about league average defensively but again something i could see it's being like a lot better. yeah yeah no
3: de- definitely um i think they'll improve i i certainly see them being better offensively than defensively i think the the offensive unit is what could be um top of the league defense probably not quite there although again a lot of that depends on deandre Ayton. what kind of strides is he going to make if he makes the same kind of jump this year as he did
1: the year before then you're talking about a really good defense yeah, I actually have them as my number eleven defense, but oh, really? In in a tier below the top ten. Yeah, um, I mean, because then you're getting into some teams that I think are going to be pretty good: you know, Miami, Definitely. Indiana, Utah, Philly. Um, I've got them down with uh, Orlando, Denver, Memphis i've got portland in that group too although their bench defense is a little concerning so um yeah we'll see and chris paul is is a very good defensive point guard but i don't think he's i would say rubio is maybe a little better than him um and but it all comes down to those big man positions if they get above average play there then yeah i think they could sneak into the top 10 um and i also think which is crazy to think for a phoenix team as long as they stay healthy i think this group has a pretty high floor yep you know i really I, i don't see like how they i don't see how they get below 500 unless there's injuries frankly
3: yeah no i i agree completely it's if if chris paul is what he is we we know what devin booker is going to do at this point I, I agree that that's certainly a, a floor at this point if, if they're healthy especially with all the depth they have
1: to start um okay so i haven't actually even made my prediction yet so if it, this is so this might sound a little bit low to people maybe um but you know i kind of have them around the high teens and offense and defense so that kind of makes you like a 46 win team I, this is mm-hmm. kind of what this team feels like to me um but as we'll see when we talk best case worst case i think their upside is significantly higher than their downside uh if of course again without major injuries so a 46 win team over the course of 72 games would be 40 wins so that would be a, a 40 and what is that 32 season yeah. is what i'm predicting for the phoenix suns this year
3: when, when you said 46 i thought we're i was doing everything on the 72 game scale i'm like Wow, Nate's actually more optimistic than me. That's really optimistic.
1: But <laughs> Bodner, as we did, we did the uh, the PHs today, and uh, for for the previews, uh, Bodner thought I was doing the same thing. He's like, "Are you crazy?" I'm like, "No, no, no I'm just." <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, "Wow, I, Nate." I, I, I have to put my 82 games into the spreadsheet, and then that will translate yeah. that into 40. That's what I just did there.
3: Yeah, no, I hear you. I was doing the same thing. Like, okay, so what is this in an 82 game season? Um, I actually think they can be a 50 game wins team in that sort of a environment. Environment in an 82-game environment. So I'm going with... 44 and 28. Um, and yeah, obviously, that's assuming that they stay healthy and all that. But I just think they have a decent chance at being a top four West team, just considering something's going to happen with injuries for one of those real elite, elite West teams. It always does. And this is just going to be a strange year with two of the teams, or really three of the teams, um, the Lakers, Clippers, and Nuggets, played real deep into the season, having a real quick turnaround. I think some of those teams are going going to really slow play it to start and I think with the Suns it's just completely different just because they haven't been there for the last 10 years they have Chris Paul who's going to be on everyone and just trying to ride that momentum from the 8-0 bubble I think that the Suns are going to be one of those teams that are taking this real seriously from from game one and not trying to slowly work your way into it and worrying about um, the playoffs already so I think that's one of those caring a little bit more the first month of the season I think that might give them a bit of a boost and then yeah like you said um there's certainly the some real upside on this team if Chris Paul brings the best out of Aiton if he really gels with Booker you've got the right type of role players around and like I've said just very much upgraded the bench even if it's just from what they've had in the past you're not relying on the Elliot Cobos of the world or Ty Jerome minutes something like that that's just not going to be the case you're going to have real professional players playing um, all the minutes
1: yeah uh, kobo is a bit of a, a boogeyman for you I, I remember you uh, yes. lamenting his minutes on last year's show and then he ended up yeah. having, to, having to play some thankfully he is uh, no longer for this team and w- when I talk about best case scenario I think they are one of the teams that I would at least give a chance to of getting the West number one seed in the regular season, and I don't know how hard the Lakers and Clippers are going to go. I think obviously those teams are pretty exactly. totally better than the Suns, but I could right, very right. easily see the Suns being the third best team in the West. Like that would not shock me, particularly with some of Dallas's potential injury issues. I think so much uh, Portland as well. I, I think is in that tier. Uh, probably a couple other teams that, that I am forgetting at the moment. Utah certainly is is in that group as well. Denver is in that group. I could. Really see any of those teams to me being the number three seed and maybe even the number one seed you know i mean you could always there's always point differential lock there could be injuries there's so this team could be that good and it just we haven't seen it all together yet it's tough to say but i think this team could play at the level of a 56 win team during the regular Mm -hmm. season uh, over 82 games which would be a 49 win best case scenario
3: yeah no i i I agree with you completely there i think that this is going to be one of those seasons where everyone has different aims different times where you're uh um really trying to get going toward and I think the fact that the Suns are going to be probably trying to sprint from the beginning does give them that type of best case scenario I'll I'll go 50 wins just to just to give it a round number uh
1: and then worst case yeah really again other than you know Paul I think a reasonable worst case is him missing 20 games uh, obviously you're yeah this worst case doesn't include guys just missing the entire season all of a sudden you know just normal injuries that right. would be expected from these type of players and absences and skipping back to backs and stuff but it's hard for me to see again as i was saying how they get much below uh a 500 season so i think that's kind of a worst case for me would be 36 and 36 and, and as i was looking at those offense and defensive rankings yeah you know maybe i could, i don't see them getting below average offensively like that would be pretty difficult for me to see me neither and then Defensively, yeah, you know, they could end up getting stuck with 20th depending on you know as particularly if bridges goes down he to me is their by far their most important defensive player if he goes down for sure then you really you're like chris paul is then your best defender like that then it starts to get a little bit rough i think you're relying on jay crowder i like him more as like the second guy defending than the first guy on the wing and so that's that's when you could see things kind of crater down into like that 20 type of range defensively so that's maybe that's how you get to your uh your average uh or average team 500 team if they're you know high teens on offense low teens on defense but i again i don't anticipate that's going to happen i think they're gonna be pretty good
3: yeah no i agree that now especially the the seven to 10 seed. The, the most Phoenix Suns thing to happen would be the Suns being the seventh seed and then losing in the play in tournament. So I'll
1: say that is the uh, worst. <laughs> well, no, no. Case. Actually, but... the most Phoenix Suns thing would be that they just missed the playoffs by about 15 games. <laughs> so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, we said
3: realistic, right? <laughs> I mean, so, sure. But yeah, yeah, realistically, you know, I think they'll, at worst, they're going to be in that play in tournament. And um, yeah, it, it just would be so Phoenix Suns to, have it be a seven or eight seed where you usually would have ended the drought and then you don't end the drought. Although I don't know if they're counting that as the playoffs. I know they didn't count it last year. Yeah,
1: I don't think they are. I think they'll still... I mean, it's still something that you can point to, uh, yeah. but yeah, I, I would be, I'd be disappointed if they don't make the playoffs and I'd be disappointed if they weren't a top eight seed. I think at this yeah. point, I mean, I, I'm going to now all of the projections have this. I'm sure mine will as well to where, you know, those three through nine in the West are all going to be like pretty darn close to one another. Definitely. And then you also throw in the craziness of the potential play in and like, you know, there could be a few things that a few plays, a few games here and there, a few injuries that really swing things during that uh, in that group um anything else you have? well so what was your worst case you were were you agreeing with me on 500
3: yeah no i i agree with you i mean i didn't i didn't have a specific record 500 sounds right but just being in that play in tournament
1: and and losing it is my worst case realistic
3: uh but if, if you wanted to pin me down i'll go i'll go 500 also
1: okay uh i do want to pin you down that's why we have the spreadsheet weird <laughs> 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 um Anything else you want to say about these guys before we go that, that you didn't get a chance to get to?
3: I mean, I think it's just... Um... It's just an interesting model of of team building. Just everything that's happened to get to this point, where it really was all about uh, they got their superstar five years ago in Devin Booker, and it's really taken them this long to to put a capable team around him. And just seeing all the different non NBA players that he's played with over those years, um, now it's now it's really time I think for people to see what Devin Booker is. You that started in the bubble when there was you know more. More eyeballs on Phoenix Suns games, particularly that Clippers win. And, and then uh, gradually as, as it continued and they continued to win games and it kind of became a story. And I think people are going to really see um, the kind of offensive player Devin Booker is. I mean, everyone knows he's, he, what he is, but you don't really see him day to day because, uh, you know, a lot of people aren't really watching the Suns. So I think this is going to be the year where he really shows out, uh, becomes an all-NBA type of player.
1: And you know what I think is probably the greatest compliment to him is that we spent so little time talking about him. Yeah. Like, he's not a question mark anymore. Right.
3: We know what he is at this point. Yeah.
1: And... I think like this, I've said this for a long time to people who haven't been following the league for, uh, or have only been following the league for the past 10 years, forget like the Suns are a sleeping giant, man. Like it's yeah. a huge market. NBA yeah. players want to be in Phoenix. They were probably had some of the biggest free agent signings in NBA history, uh, mm-hmm. you know, until the they entered this dark period when the organization became this big joke. And so now to have Chris Paul there, to have some legitimacy, you know, they don't have amazing trade assets to get in on on potential stars but i think they could be a place where people want to be and you know you just haven't said that for a while and you see all these games that they're on national tv now too yeah which i mean that's a it's a big market and it just people have forgotten it's been this backwater for so long it's just good to see uh the sun's like back being relevant again
3: and i think one thing that always used to be a point of pride for suns fans fourth largest uh, fourth best winning percentage in NBA history now that's long not the case anymore they've gone pretty far down the list but at least during their heyday during even during the um, the 2000s that's what they were behind like the I guess probably the Lakers Celtics and Spurs was them and then the Suns as far as best winning percentages Um, so that's pretty stunning and then one thing that people might not realize is the Suns are just opened up a new practice facility that's state-of-the-art and their old practice facility was basically like a little little room inside of their arena um probably if not the worst certainly one of the worst practice facilities so to upgrade from there to um state-of-the-art brand new practice facility i think is something that's really important as far as a improving the team but also uh pitching free agents down the down the
1: line all right well thanks so much uh for joining us uh Again, Mike, uh, we appreciate it. I know you're not doing that much uh, forward-facing stuff uh, these days. uh, But so it's, uh, I don't know if promoting your work is appropriate, but if you would like to do that, uh, go for it.
3: Well, yeah, I mean, just uh, work for Stats and Information Group. And um, I'm a a researcher, so I spend a lot of time on The Jump in particular, just trying to help the show be as smart as possible, building all the stat graphics. So um,
0: watch the NBA and ESPN this year.